You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Those who have worn the crown should never survive its loss. Never will I see the day when I am not saluted as Empress. Welcome back, friends. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for those of you who went and listened to the podcast that I suggested on systemic racism and more information about the Black Lives Matter movement. Thank you so much. So important to continue our education on systemic racism and equality. All right, let's get right into it. Have I got a story for you? Everyone loves a rags to riches story. So how about a rags to freaking sainthood story? Yes. I hear you loud and clear. Her voice is traveling through space and time. And I know you want to hear about the woman who went from a prostitute to a freaking saint, all the while simultaneously fighting for women's rights and building one of the most beautiful cities of all time. Well, I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Grab your hot beverage, pull out that Snuggie from the early 2000s, and let's get going. So our second empress in the Empress Batty series is Theodora, Empress Theodora, who was a Byzantine empress. Let's start out with her early life. Who was she? Well, Theodora was born to a poor family in the year 500 or around about that time. Her mother's name and occupation were unfortunately lost in the sands of time, but we do know that her father was a bear tamer. Yeah. What? Um, he was a bear tainer with the Green Gang, the Green Chariot Gang. And we're going to talk about these chariot gangs more later, so don't you worry. Unfortunately, Theodora's father died when she was very young. She couldn't support herself and her three daughters, so what she did was she dressed up Theodora and her sisters and took them to a place called the Hippodrome. Think of like a longer coliseum, basically, with chariot races. And this was like the headquarters of those chariot gangs that I was talking about earlier. And if you were in need, you could go to these groups and they would help you out in some way or another. So Theodora's father was a member of the Green Gang. So Theodora's mother took her and her sisters, dressed them up, like I said, and paraded them around in the green area to ask them for help. But the greens were like, nah, we're not gonna help you. But the blues were like, yeah, we got you. So the blues did two things for Theodora and her family. Number one, they gave Theodora's mother's new husband a job but they also did a pretty shitty thing by introducing Theodora and her sisters into the life of theater. And by theater, I mean prostitution. They were one in the same during this time. If you were called an actress, it was basically like a nice way to say you were a prostitute. And appallingly, child prostitution was not uncommon. And she became a, a prostitute before the age of 14. We know this for sure. 
because at the age of 14, she became pregnant and had a daughter through her activities at the theater. But what you're going to learn about Theodora in this podcast is that she is the OG of making lemons into lemonade. She always makes a situation better for herself and those around her. Theodora and her sisters became wildly popular by the age 15. Theodora herself was so popular, in fact, she caught the eye of the governor of what is now Libya and became his mistress when she was 18 years old. They had a great time. They did their thing for like two years. He took care of Theodora and her daughter. But then, you know, at the end of the two years, they parted ways amicably and she moved to Alexandria for like a change of pace. In Alexandria, she converted to the religion monophysitis. <laughs> Whoa, monophysitism. Say that 10 times fast. So basically this religion believed that Jesus was not just an ordinary man like the Orthodox Christian religion of the time believed. They believed that he was completely divine, that he was only divine and no part of him was man. So she converted to this religion, did her little thing in Alexandria for a while. Then she came back to Constantinople at the age of 21. All this time, she was a firm member of the blue group, the blue chariot gang group. And as fate or luck or whatever would have it, guess who was also a member of the blue gang? Justinian who would be the future emperor. But before we move on to the next part of our story, I know you're thinking, TK, what? You, you, you gotta shed some light on this whole colorful chariot gang situation that we got going on. Okay, all right, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll let you in on, on the secret, the, the not so secret, it's not a secret. <laughs> so here we go. Chariot racing was the sport. Like, in the past, it was the gladiators, but because Christianity had become popular, they were like, no, we can't just be killing people for sport. So, what happened was, chariot racing became popular, and there were die-hard fans. The chariot teams eventually broke off into four different factions. The blues, the greens, the whites, and the reds, and they were called demes. D-E-M-E-S, Demes. So the two biggest Demes, or chariot gangs, which I like to call them chariot gangs. That sounds way cooler than Demes. So we're just going to call them chariot gangs from now on. So the two biggest chariot gangs were the blue and the green. But these were not just groups of diehard fans and chariot racers. Think of them more like politically active gangs that would fight for legislative change and also race chariots and occasionally riot and basically control the general population and help determine who would be in power in the city. So they got a, they got a lot going on and they were super important parts of society in the Byzantine Empire and specifically in Constantinople. They were like a mouthpiece of the common people and everyone belonged to one of these four gangs. All right, back to our girl, Theodora 
here we go. When Theodora came back, like I said, she was still a hardcore blue. And Justinian also was a hardcore blue. And through some event or chariot race or something they met, they fell in love, bada bing, bada boom. But there was a problem. During this time, different classes of people, like the nobility, and then, you know, not nobility like prostitutes were not allowed to marry. You couldn't do it. You couldn't get married across classes. But this did not stop them. They lived together for like two years as a little happy family with Theodora and Justinian and Theodora's daughter. But they were not satisfied with this. No, they wanted to get married. They loved each other and it was very convenient because they happened to know the man who made all the laws. The emperor, Justin, just happened to be Justinian's uncle. What? What a coinkadink. So for two years, Theodora and Justinian were like, hey, hey, uncle slash emperor Justin, we want to get married. Let us get married. This is a stupid law. We should abolish this law. But Emperor Justin's wife was not having it. She was a very traditional lady, and she was like, you cannot abolish this law. We have to maintain our religious whatever, purity, I guess. Love has no place in marriage, blah de blah de blah But she died, <laughs> which is terrible. I'm very sad for her. But after her death, Emperor Justin was like, all right, I'm gonna abolish this law. Y'all can marry across socioeconomic class. So Justinian and Theodora got married. Woo, yay. And not two years later, Emperor Justin died. And guess who was next for the throne? That's right, Justinian. So Justinian and Theodora became emperor and empress in the year 527. Oh friend, this is where it gets real good. Our girl Thea did not fade into the background and become some spoiled lazy lady. Oh no, she did not. She was Justinian's equal. She had just as much a hand in the betterment and control of Constantinople as Justinian. And I can't help but think of the quote in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. If you haven't seen that movie, you need to go watch that movie. Where have you been? Where have you been, friend? <laughs> but anyway, let me get to the quote. So I love when the mom in My Big Fat Greek Wedding says, the man is the head, but the woman is the neck. She can turn the man any way she wants. I love it. And I think it describes a little bit about Justinian and Theodore's, you know, relationship as emperor and empress. The thing I love about their relationship is that it was definitely a love match. And there is evidence all over the place of their equality. There are mosaics of imperial processions with both of them prominently displayed in the front. Her signature is on the majority of legislation passed during their reign. And one of my favorite examples of the equality and love between the two of them is this. Theodora's name means gift of God and Justinian 
always called her my gift, but not in like a belittling way, but in a serious, heartfelt way. He really felt that she was his gift from God. And we know this to be true because at his coronation, he named her as his co-ruler. And this wasn't just some title. She had her own budget. She had her own court. She worked on projects with Justinian and on her own. He valued her ideas and respected her position and respected her as a person. They were not the same religion. He was a member of the Orthodox Church and she was a part of a fringe religion. So he made it his duty to try to heal the breach between the two religions. He tried to work towards mutual understanding with respect and as a part of these negotiations, he wrote a hymn about Christ in a way that respected both religions. And this hymn is still read in Orthodox churches to this day. All right, enough of that. Enough of that before I cry. Let's talk about one of the godmothers of feminism and gender equality. James Allen Evans, a Canadian historian, wrote about Theodora. In the eyes of the upper class beholder, what Theodora represented was revolutionary. And revolutionary she was, my friend. Holy crap. This lady changed so many freaking laws during her reign. It's insane. Insanity. And there was a wide range of laws that she changed for the betterment of women in the Byzantine Empire and the betterment of society as a whole, if I'm being perfectly honest. She changed marriage laws, divorce laws, prostitution laws, protection of women and children, rape law, parental law, property law, pimping laws, care and protection of sex workers, care for female criminals, and socioeconomic equality for women. Whoop, whoop. Friend, this woman worked her little patootie off. She was changing so many laws and we do not have time to talk about all of them, but I wanna talk about some of my favorite specific laws starting with marriage. So we know even before she was empress, her and Justinian had a hand in changing and abolishing the class marriage rule. But I want to talk about that a little bit more. So after this law was abolished and she became empress, she set up marriages for her sisters, her daughter, and her friends from the theater, aka her prostitute friends. And in a matter of months, she helped so many women out of a socioeconomic cycle of oppression. And I know this doesn't sound like a lot, but during the time, marriage was the only way to elevate your status. It's a sad truth. That's what we were dealing with during the time. But she wasn't just like matchmaking. I'm gonna tell you a little story about uh, one time when she set up one of her friends with a uh, nobleman named Saturnitus. So basically, Theodora arranged a marriage between one of her theater friends and this noble guy. But Theodora heard through the grapevine that this was complaining 
that his bride wasn't gonna be a virgin. So you know what she did? She had the nobleman brought to her, rolled him in a blanket, and beat him with a cane. And then, afterwards, she asked him just one question. Why could he go to brothels freely whenever he wanted and dare to demand virginity from his wife? Hmm? Hmm? Theodora don't believe in no double standards, friend. No double standards. So the next law that she changed was about dowry. Now, dowry was money that the bride's family paid to the groom to be like, thank you for marrying our daughter, which mm -mm, she did not like that because the groom's family had to then in return give an equal but not completely equal gift back to not the bride, but the bride's family. So often this was used as like a tool like people would say, you can marry my daughter, and then they would get money for it. So they basically they were selling their daughters. And Theodora was having none of it, so she just got rid of dowry altogether. Then she created something called a double consent law for marriage. Remember, like I said, marriage was really the only way at this time to elevate a woman's status. And then elevate the family's status. So women were often forced into marriages, but with this double consent law, women who said yes initially at first were then asked away from all the people and closer to the wedding day, you know, it gave her some time to think about it and it was away from all the people so she wouldn't feel pressure. So she was asked again if she wanted to still go through with the wedding, which is a great idea. Super great idea. Theodora made a bunch of other laws pertaining to marriage equality, but those ones are my favorite. So next we're gonna talk about property and inheritance laws. So before the laws that Theodora passed, women were not allowed to own, inherit, or do anything with property or money at all, really. But Theodora made it possible for women to pass down property, money, what have you, along the female line. So from mother to daughter, daughter to sister, whatever. If you was a lady, you could inherit things, basically. And this gave women real social power, which was awesome. The next group of laws that changed is probably my favorite. And these are laws pertaining to punishment for rape. Theodora made rape punishable by death. You a rapist, then you gonna die. And not only would the rapist be executed, but all the rapist property, all of the rapist wealth, whatever that had, would go to the survivor of that rape. In addition, anyone who was in the vicinity of the rape at that time and didn't stop it were also punished as if they were the rapist. You see a rape, you don't stop it, you gon' die. Which, in my opinion, should be reinstated. We need this law. This is a great law. Period. End of discussion. And the last bunch of laws that I'm going to talk about is protection for prostitutes. Theodora knew the life and the stigma that came with being an actress. 
the soft name for prostitution. There was a lot of forced prostitution at the time, and the brothel owners had authority over the prostitutes. The prostitutes were making money, but they had to give the majority of it back to the brothel. So she changed the authority and transferred it to the prostitutes. From the brothel owners to the prostitutes, they now had authority over their own business. And forced prostitution was illegal. And she had strict checks and balances and regulations. She put two people in charge, the governor of Constantinople and the bishop. So they checked up on each other. And she checked up on the both of them. If they were slacking, she would bring the hammer down upon their heads. So basically, she made a ton of other laws alongside her husband, not only pertaining to gender equality, but also society as a whole. The group of laws that came about during Theodora and Justinian's reign is known as the Corpus Juris Civilis. And the corpus continues to have a major influence on public international law. There are four parts of the Corpus Juris Civilis, Civilis, <laughs> sorry, and they make up the foundation documents of Western legal traditions. They're basically the heart of Western legal tradition. And you know what that means? That means a woman is responsible for the basis of public international law and Western legal traditions. Boom, 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 boom. I wish I had that like DJ Khaled horn that I could play. <laughs> Cause that's freaking cool. Of course, officially, credit for the corpus goes to Emperor Justinian, and he deserves the credit, but no one, no historian, no legal person can doubt Theodora's powerful presence in the laws that pertain to women and the betterment of society. Unfortunately, Theodora died in the year 548, but even after her death, Justinian upheld the standards of gender equality and did his best to carry on the legacy of his beloved gift from God. All right, friend, you know what time it is. Time for the final thought. This podcast got a little bit long, but you're going to be all right because we're talking about chariot gang riots. Oh, friend, you did not think I was going to leave you without telling you more about these weird chariot gangs, did I? I would never dream of it. In the year 532, well into the reign of Justinian and Theodora, people became very angry because Justinian had made very, very high taxes. And if I know anything, I know people don't like high taxes. The people of Constantinople were also very upset because two members of the Green Gang had did some murdering and instead of pardoning them like most emperors did, Justinian was like, nah, you gonna be punished. So the people were angry. One day, there was a big chariot racing game and people were upset, like I said. And the chariot racing turned into a riot, a riot that lasted for 
weeks. People were not happy with Justinian, and they had rioted, burned stuff, killed people, and the chariot gangs named a new emperor. They were like, no, Justinian, we don't recognize you anymore. We're going to have our own emperor, blah, 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 blah. And Justinian was real, real scared. And he was like, let's just get out of here. You, me, our daughter, let's go. We can escape right now via the river. But Theodora was not having it. She persuaded, or rather kind of shamed him a little bit, into staying and fighting for the crown by saying those who have worn the crown should never survive its loss. Never will I see the day when I am not saluted as empress. But even then, he was like, no, we, I don't want to die. We, we gotta go. And then she said, who is born into the light of day must sooner or later die. And how could an emperor ever allow himself to be fatigued? Royalty is a fine burial shroud, which basically means I'm gonna look real good at my funeral wearing purple because I died the empress. So Justinian was like, all right, let's stop these riots. And he did, he stopped the riots, he made peace, it was great because of Theodora. All right, friend, we have come to the end. Thank you so much for all the love and support. I am uh, continually amazed that people want to hear me talk about stuff. My mother can definitely attest to the fact that I was and continue to be a talkative child and a talkative adult. But really and truly, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, if you want to see any of the pictures that I mentioned or the places or the people, please head on over to the Instagram at for the love of underscore history. You can see all of it there. And also, you can vote for next week's topic. So until next time, stay safe and please give yourself a big hug, a big old hug from me, and uh, I'll talk to you next time. Bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>